Welcome to our Perimenopause What the F podcast, brought to you by the Perry community. In this podcast, your host, Rachel Hughes, talks everything, and we mean everything, perimenopause. She helps us navigate through all our What the F perimenopause moments and all, is this normal? Questions. Rachel talks with perimenopause experts, thought leaders, and inspirational voices of the community. To connect with other perimenopause warriors, download our free Perry app. You can find the link in our show notes. And now, let's dive right in. Hey everyone, this is Rachel of Rachel Hughes Midlife here with another episode of Perry Talks, where we like to deep dive into all things perimenopause and menopause, bringing you the science and the sisterhood. Today, I'm speaking with therapist and anthropologist Chrissy Court of Heyday Therapy about the mood swings and emotional instability so often associated and suffered by women in perimenopause. We know more or less the why, right? hormone fluctuation, decrease, but how we manage and thrive during this season of life is always the question. Christy will unpack a lot for us here, not only about solutions available, but also with her anthropological knowledge weighing in, perspectives as well. This should be interesting. For future episodes, make sure you subscribe to this podcast. And now let's get started. Welcome, Chrissy Court, to the perimenopause community. We're happy to have you here. Chrissy specializes in providing a caring and supportive ear to those struggling with depression, anxiety, relationships, anger management, ADHD, grief, trauma, and the stress of everyday life. With 20 years of work experience within the social service field in Canada and England. Chrissy continues to help individuals of all ages to gain coping skills and navigate their lives successfully. She uses therapeutic techniques such as cognitive behavioral therapy, expressive arts therapy, brief solution-focused therapy, DBT, trauma and resilience approaches, motivational interviewing, narrative therapy, and mindfulness. And as I mentioned in my feed on Instagram, Chrissy is also an anthropologist, which I personally find incredibly exciting and interesting. And her knowledge in that field, she has brought to her work and also to the conversation around perimenopause and menopause. So Chrissy, before we dive in, you and I had occasion to speak last week ahead of this call. And I mentioned to you that one of the reasons I sort of wanted to dip my toe into the conversation around perimenopause and menopause was that I had read a magazine article several years back in New York Magazine. It was titled Midlife Psychosis. I couldn't remember all the details, but I remember the feeling it brought up, which was sort of terror around the fact that as our hormones fluctuate in midlife, we can experience a real psychological upheaval. And my first symptom, which I didn't realize at the time, and I think many women don't realize, was anxiety. I had a history of sort of depressive episodes, but the anxiety was something unlike I had ever experienced at that time. And I ended up, you know, in my gynecologist's office who confirmed I was perimenopausal and so on. So what I was really hoping to do here, other than open this up for you to sort of speak to us about 
what's all happening is really sort of dial in on what solutions there are. I know that every situation is different. Every perimenopausal and menopausal woman's experience is different. But this piece, I think, is overlooked a lot. The more we talk about it, the more it's sort of like the vortex increases and we think, gosh, we've been talking about this all along, but that actually isn't true. So if you would like to start wherever you would, Chrissy, on this topic, this coming together of hormonal fluctuations and mental health issues, start there. And then I'll get to our community questions. The thing with perimenopause is a lot of times we haven't had the opportunity to talk about it. Our bodies travels through our life changes have been kind of taken over by the wider bio-Western medical arena, I guess. It used to be that women would come together and we would support each other. We would learn about things from our grandparents, from our parents, from other women within our community, whether it was the wise woman of the village or what have you. And we've really lost track of a lot of that. Part of that is because of capitalism. Part of it is because of the medicalization of women's bodies, where we are taught that perimenopause is a deficit. It's a negative. It's our bodies wearing down, giving up. They're not working as they should do. And when we medicalize anything, it then means that it needs a medical solution. So it becomes like a disease or an illness as opposed to just part of our life cycle and what is much more natural and fluid than fitting into a nice little medical box. Historically, certainly in regards to the last 80 years, one of the quick things that were, oh, if women are having issues, what we'll do, the number one answer was we will give them a hysterectomy or a partial hysterectomy. A lot of our concerns were dismissed. Well, you're just a woman. You know, you're being hysterical, which is why they do hysterectomies, right, right, you know, right. at one point many years ago. And because of that, we lost our community. We lost our ability to come together and to recognize this as part of our transition through our lifetime as a natural fluid progression. So we need to reclaim that. We need to take that back so that we can know what's coming, so we can support each other, so we can create a community where we can all come together and know that this is just a natural part of our lives. Hmm. Thank you. Thank you for that, Chrissy. We know about the hormonal fluctuations and how that drives the potential for mental health crises or fluctuating sort of responses to things, people in our lives that maybe, you know, up until then has been relatively smooth sailing, but then, you know, our hormones start doing this thing and Maybe our reactions also start doing this thing, our feelings, our emotions, anger, sadness, all of this kind of thing. But I'm wondering what else might be at play other than hormones that, if anything, I mean, I think we maybe overlook lifestyle or not overlook it, but I think relationships is a tough thing and can become really challenging around this season of life. And I'm wondering kind of what your experience is, what you have heard, what you know about, about these things coming together. 
Well, like you said, a lot of this has to do with hormone fluctuations and even getting a basic understanding of that. With hormones, we often think, oh, our hormones are decreasing in how we're projecting. There's more than one hormone involved. There's both the progesterone as well as the estrogen, and they don't come down at the same time. This one might drop this much. This might drop more. Then they'll suddenly come up. And we are one giant ball of chemicals. Mm. So, and what our bodies want to do is create a sense of equilibrium. So when these start to fluctuate, it impacts other chemicals in our body, like neurotransmitters, such as dopamine, which gives us our joy, or Mm -hmm. serotonin that helps us with our sadness and depression. Again, because our regular hormones, which are actually steroid hormones, the estrogen and progesterone, as they fluctuate, these other ones do, which is what controls our mood regulation, our anger. Remember, the fear that we have and the anxiety and anger are all the same thing. It uses the same part of your brain. It uses the same chemicals. So that's all part of it. And that's um, norepinephrine. So everything just desperately tries to Find that equilibrium again. And that's why it impacts our emotions in such such a large way. And that's what makes us overreact sometimes, especially in relationships. We can be highly sensitive. We will react in ways that we normally would think of having a sunburn. If I go like that on your arm, that wouldn't be an issue at all. If you've got a sunburn and I do that, you're through the roof. And it's kind of what we're going through, through perimenopause and menopause. Okay. Thank you for that. That was helpful and interesting to sort of reconnect with the idea that it's not just the sort of major sex hormones that we know about that are impacted during this season. It's all of the others that help to regulate our emotional homeostasis or balance as we know it. Okay. Someone wrote in... I had major mood swings since entering menopause and postmenopause. I went on HRT and within weeks became very depressed. My doctor said she didn't think it was the HRT, but I have read it can be a side effect. Can you unpack that a little bit for us? Again, when it comes to our hormones and all of the chemicals in our body, you change any one of them. It can have that kind of an impact. Eat 10 Mars bars. Your blood sugar level goes through the roof. You start releasing a lot of other chemicals in your body. This is going to be very hard. So cortisol is released. Then when that drops, everything else again changes again. So which is why you can have that that down after a sugar high. All of these chemicals interact with each other. It does make sense that with the HRT change things because that's introducing more estrogen and progesterone. Okay. There's a reason for doing both of those instead of just the estrogen as well, because there's an increased risk of a number of things like blood clots and breast cancer if you take estrogen alone. And another way of trying to avoid some of those uh, side effects or those concerns is also to make sure that you start HRT within, I believe it's two years of having reached menopause and before the age of 60. So that then makes it so it's not so much of a concern. Yeah, that's an interesting one. And I've had conversations with physicians and many at this juncture, or I can't say all, but many will say starting HRT when you're in perimenopause is okay in 
in many cases, in most yeah. cases, but certainly after 60, for some, it becomes a different conversation to have with your gynecologist. So, okay, another question from the community. And this was a really broad one, but I think that we kind of like, we're going to dive right in now. I need guidance controlling my inner rage. That is where we can look at a lot of things. And this isn't just for the rage. It's also for depression, anxiety. Remember, anxiety and anger are the same. You're still in the fight, flight, or freeze portion of your brain. And the wonderful thing about that is it's in a different part of the brain from our thinking part. Our thinking part is in the, our frontal lobe. That's where we get things like decision-making, intellectual thought, problem-solving, and mood regulation. So if you're back here in the fight or flight, the two parts of the brain don't like to work together. So what we need to do is take you from that part where there is anger, anxiety, fear, and pull you into the front of your brain. Do it. One of the really good ways of doing that is with grounding exercises, and which you can get through psychotherapy. Very easy to learn, and there are hundreds and hundreds of ways of doing it. So there's always, you can always find something new. If one doesn't work, you can try something new. So Chrissy, give us, a, you know, three examples of grounding exercises. Okay. Um, one of the the ones that pretty much anybody who has gone to psychotherapy and has had CBT learn five, four, three, two, one. So sitting very comfortable in your chair. One of the first things I often tell people is where are your shoulders? Because when we're angry or anxious, you'll usually find that they're raised. We protect our vulnerable bits. So you want to roll your shoulders back and sit comfortably. When you were in school, you used to have flashcards. Two plus two equals four. I want you to picture that in your brain. You do not have to say it, it just have it there so that you will look at five things that you can see and you will spell them on a flashcard in your mind. So for example, I would say pen, P-E-N, cup, C-U-P, and you picture it in your head. Five things that you can see, four things that you can feel. It could be the chair under your bottom, C-H-A-I-R, three things that you can hear, Two things that you can smell. It can even be the temperature of the air in your nose. Warm, W-A-R-M. And then you take your tongue and put it to the roof of your mouth. The one thing you can taste, which after you've been talking like are uh, right now, it's usually a metallic taste, M-E-T-A-L. It takes this part of the brain to be able to pay attention to those things and to spell it. So you pulled yourself from the back of your head into here. Another way of managing that is counting backwards from 100. That sounds easy enough. Now try doing it by sevens. Oh, yes. I am so not good. At, I'm not good enough at math to do that. I can maybe do twos, but not sevens. But I love that. Because you have to concentrate so hard to be able, it's supposed to be that difficult. You have to concentrate so hard, you're pulling yourself into that part of your brain. Another thing that works very well, if you drive a car, I'm sure that 
if you go on a familiar route often, sometimes we find we're driving along and it's like, oh my goodness, I didn't even notice I drove through the last two towns because you're off in your head. What we want to be is mindful and bring ourselves down and increase that focus. So the reason we can do that is our brain fills in the blank spots. Even though we're not actively thinking about it, we are in the background, right? So we don't want our brain to fill in blank spots. So you grab a book, absolutely any book. So you open it to any place within. You go down to the bottom right-hand side and you read it in reverse. Heartstrings, you're on pulling self. Toddler, you're to listen. It doesn't make any sense. So we can't fill in the blanks. We have to focus on it. If anyone's had a Facebook post where they take all of the vowels out and they say, if you can understand this, you're a genius. The brain just fills in the blank spots. So if we do it that way, it forces you to focus, which automatically brings things down. These are excellent examples. I thank you so much for each of them. And just to sort of highlight, the purpose is to bring focus to the present and in so doing, kind of turn down the dial on that feeling of inner rage that one woman mentioned. Okay, so let me ask you sort of like for an illustration, because I'm thinking, you know, in this person's case, who knows what it is that feels like triggery to her when she wrote this in to me, inner rage is broad, it can be anything, right? But if you're experiencing that feeling, how do you know when it's coming? Because that's part of the challenge too in perimenopause. I think when your hormones are dictating so much, there's a lot of the unexpected, right? And so how can you kind of corral all of this, given the tools that you just gave us? That is also around mindfulness of being really aware of yourself and paying attention to how you feel, being able to use self-reflection, being able to almost do a body scan with anger, for example. There are physiological things that happen. A lot of times people will say, oh, it just came out of nowhere. No, it did not. There are physical signs that you can recognize before that when we go into the fight or flight. Our heartbeat will increase. Sometimes we'll get sweaty palms. Our breathing will change. Sometimes you're gritting your teeth or you'll feel that physical tension. Our digestive system shuts down because the worst thing in the world that would happen when a Tyrannosaurus Rex was chasing us is that we'd say, excuse me, I need to go to the water. <laughs> You've done well for mankind. Right. right? Right. For all things our body automatically does when we go into the fight or flight thing. It becomes like a mountain. You can only go so far when you're still able to control it. Once it hits the top, you have to wait for it to come down a little bit again. So you want to be able to catch it before it hits the top of the mountain and blows. And that's when we have to say, okay, you know what? I need to step back. I need to remove myself. I need to end the conversation. I'll be back in 15 minutes after I make a cup of tea or run around the block or whatever it is that you need to do. Because if you're angry, we don't want to be reactive and get into disagreements. Because again, if you're back here in the fight or flight, you're not in here with the problem solving and the mood regulation, which is where we want you to be. Okay, Christy, this is so helpful. I was thinking about my own kind of what I experience when I start feeling that feeling, you know, the anger coming on. And you're so right that if you really think about it, you can feel something is coming, even if it's all hormonally driven, right? And so it got me thinking, I tend to breathe up here. I realize that I'm breathing in a shallow manner. 
Like nothing's making it into my chest. It's all like here. And then it got me thinking if you would sort of lay out for us a bit, just a few things that for not only women in midlife who are experiencing perimenopause and menopause, but for those who are pre-perimenopausal, who are here in this community and sort of thinking about what's coming. And I think this is so helpful to frame for people whether you're in it or not quite in it yet, or you're past it for that matter, is what can I be looking for? How do I begin this exercise of mindfulness so that I can bring myself from the back brain to the front and kind of corral my own behavior and my relationships? I love that you're also looking at people before they actually start perimenopause because all of these things happen long before we ever hit menopause and menopause. Every time you have a child or a pregnancy, every time you have menstruation, you're going to have these hormonal fluctuations to a greater or lesser degree. We all have heard of PMS. Everybody has different variances. Sometimes it's mild. Sometimes it can be extreme. Sometimes it can always be extreme, which is where you often have to look at medication to help with that piece. But mindfulness is something that we should be able to teach. And certainly mood regulation is what we should be teaching our two-year-old daughters. Yes. To recognize their body. The worst thing you can ever say to a child is stop that crying. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Trying to swallow it down. We don't want that. We want to be able to feel what we're feeling, to recognize those emotions, to name those emotions so that we then know how to deal with it. And if we can learn those skills when we're little, then when the bigger things happen, like going through puberty, you're better able, you have a good foundation to be able to do that and throughout life thereafter. Thank you. Thank you for that. So let's move on. One more question from the community. How can I deal with everything everyone does being so bothersome and causing raging outbursts? Okay. The biggest part of that I find for women is often around self-compassion. We are very good at sacrificing ourselves on the altar of family. And we're taught this again from the time we're teeny tiny little tots. Here's your baby doll. Hold your baby doll. Love your baby doll. You look after your baby brother. And we we automatically learn to be the nurturer, the carer. Unfortunately, we tend to do that at our own expense. What I try to tell women is the exact opposite. Yes, we you can care for your children, your parents, your spouse, your workmates, your neighbors. However, if you ask a young mom, especially who comes first, what is your first priority in your life? Oh, my children, then you're wrong. Your first priority has to be yourself. And that feels wrong to us. We feel selfish if we say that, but your loved ones, your children, your parents, your partner deserves the best you that you can be. If you go down they'll all go down. (laughs) Therefore, you have to allow yourself to be the best person you can be by focusing on taking care of yourself first so that you can then take care of others around you. They deserve your best. And so do you. I want to get back to sort of before we spend a little time in the, in the sort of the larger anthropological conversation, if, if we hopefully can get there, I'd really like to. A couple of things. The first is 
we hear this often in the community that people who've been previously diagnosed with depression, with maybe borderline personality, with things that might become heightened, really dialed up, feel out of control in perimenopause. What might you say to those people? Well, borderline personality disorder is entirely different from depression, anxiety, that sort of thing, although they can accompany that, right? Mm -hmm. But that's a totally different classification of within the DSM. But absolutely, studies have been really clear that if you have had struggles in the past with depression and anxiety, you are at a higher risk with perimenopause and, and menopause. One of the opportunities that gives us is to be able to to learn coping skills then which will continue to be of use as you go through perimenopause and menopause psychotherapy is brilliant for that not only to learn new coping skills which is a huge bit because the idea of any social worker or psychotherapist is to basically to work yourself out of a job Right. Of course. Yeah. I often say to my clients, you know, my job is to hold your hand through a little bit of your journey. You already have the strengths within you. My job is to just kind of remind you because sometimes we forget how amazing we are. I'll hold your hand for a little bit of your journey. I'll shine a flashlight on those to remind you of what your strengths are. I might teach you a few little tricks of the trade, but you know, that's not a big deal. And then you will kick me to the curb where I belong. Right. Because you don't need a crutch. You just need the tools to be able to be strong for yourself. Great. Thank you. All right. I want to get to this question here. I seem to find myself in a perpetual state of anticipatory grief and sadness over things that I can't control, like feeling painfully sad, knowing my dog will die one day or that my kids are going to grow up and move away and thinking of the emptiness I will feel in my house. Intense sadness if I see an animal or child isn't being cared for. I seem to spend a lot of time in that headspace and it's making me so down. Life feels heavier than it should and I don't know how to stop letting those thoughts cause intense emotions. Thank you so much for sharing that. Chrissy, speak to that. That, again, is where CBT can be really, really useful because it does sound like there is potentially some depression and anxiety going on in there. It doesn't necessarily mean it needs a diagnosis. It might be just the symptoms of when I was in my first abnormal psychology class ever. The best moment of my educational life in that class was that I wasn't allowed to open up my textbook. And the reason was the professor wanted to tell us, before you start looking at these, I want you to know you have every single solitary disorder in the book <laughs> called being human. Mm. The difference between being human and it being a psychiatric illness is when it negatively impacts your life to the point that you are not enjoying your life to its fullest. And it's like, oh, how much does that normalize mental health and wellness. Like that was just magical for me. And okay, so we are all going to have depressive symptoms at times or experience anxiety. It's when it gets to be all the time that we need to address it. And psychotherapy is always usually the first shot at the ball, so to speak. Medication should be the last. I always start with three basic things. How are you eating? How are you sleeping? And what is your exercise level? That's the foundation to start from. And there are all kinds of information and resources that can be provided to help you learn how to tweak that 
to hopefully have a positive impact on how you're feeling and also to make you feel like you are more in control as opposed to your body and your chemicals controlling you. Chrissy, I was going to get to this later, but I think it's just an appropriate place now. For someone like this community member who shared this feeling, which I I can empathize, just feels all-encompassing in some moments. And as you said, perhaps it, you know, there's some depression there, maybe some anxiety. And let's just assume she is in perimenopause. She's on her way to being postmenopausal. So that is a component in her mind at the very least, right? She's here in this community. So given that information and and for anyone and everyone who may be in that space, perimenopausal, suffering with maybe low-grade depression or anxiety, feeling these kind of you know anxious, worrisome thoughts, beyond cognitive behavioral therapy, I appreciate what you're saying about medication being the last but I'm just curious for those people, and I can speak personally, you know, the hot flashes was the thing that for me said, okay, I'm done. I want to take HRT because they were so intense and so debilitating. But prior to that, I have to say a lot of my symptoms were around managing with alternative medicine, my mental state. And so HRT being on one end, and I don't know what is on the other, if you could kind of walk us through what you might offer to a patient coming in your office saying much the things that our community members shared. Like I said, I start with the three basics. I will also start talking about some alternative options as well, which might be anything that is around self-care. There are some herbal remedies that can be really helpful. I am not a medical doctor, nor am I a naturopath or a herbal medicine practitioner, although I have a huge amount of interest around that. But I know there are things like black cohosh or St. John's wort and this sort of thing. You can either go to a herbal medicine practitioner for that or a naturopath to look at those options. It's always important to work with your medical doctor in conjunction with that. Hopefully you have a doctor that is open to alternative suggestions as well. There's a lot around yoga and Pilates, which is really important. There are things like massage therapy which can help reduce a lot of that anxiety as well. Acupuncture is a possibility as well. Chinese medicine, there's some amazing things that they have as well. So you really need to think outside of the box. I wish that there was one magic, here's the answer for everybody, but it's not. We are all entirely different people in every possible way. And so it's going to take a unique answer for each person. But the more we learn from each other about all of the options out there, the more chance we have of finding the right solution for us. Yeah, I'm moved by what you say and offer too. And first of all, just to kind of highlight eating, sleeping movement, how are you doing each look within and explore those things for yourself? I believe what you're saying is those three things are particularly informative in terms of very um, much so. how uh, you're doing your sleep. For example, we would want to look at your sleep hygiene. What are your practices? There are kind of rules around sleep hygiene. No screen time, 30 minutes before That's bed. That's a big one. Yes, yes. <laughs> I know that the world of TikTok and Instagram, uh, you will miss us if we're all gone. However, there is a blue light that's emitted that 
interferes with our ability to get into the correct level of sleep. So that's why you have that 30 minutes. Think back to being a mom. If you had children, you kept routines with the babies. We don't change any when we're adults. We need repetition. You go to bed at the same time, you get up at the same time. If you go and have a shower or a bath, you have that same shower or bath every day. Your bed is supposed to be for sex and for sleep. Nothing else. Don't do your taxes. Don't fold the laundry. Don't watch TV. Really don't watch TV. All of these things. Our body creates muscle memories. So when we want to go to bed, our bodies to say, hmm, am I going to have sex? No? Okay, I'm going to sleep now. And that will actually help. Sometimes insomnia can be a piece of perimenopause and menopause as well. So again, there are some things like melatonin that you can look at, things like lavender, oil of lavender and diffusers that can help with this. There's some magnificent things you can look at around music and even YouTube's before that half hour period that can help with the relaxation piece beforehand. There are very, very many studies that show the correlation between lack of proper sleep and your mental health. If you doubt me, there's a reason why sleep deprivation is used as torture at Guantanamo Bay. Right. It's imperative that we get the appropriate amount of sleep for us. For some people, that might be six hours. For some people, that might be 10. That's very important. With food, same thing. We need the right nutrients because as everything is going all over the place chemically, food can help even that out. The Mediterranean diet is one that's actually really good for that. Right. And exercise, same thing. This releases a lot of positive chemicals in our bodies, including some of our happy chemicals like dopamine and serotonin. It also helps with the weight gain that seems to come with perimenopause and menopause too. Yeah. Thank you for that. I just want to read the couple of comments that came in. I am 48 and perimenopausal and wondering if I need to see what's going on with my hormones, but worried HRT could make it worse. I just have to say, if there's one thing I've heard from every physician I've had opportunity to speak to, it's that there's nothing to see with the hormones in terms of where you are in perimenopause, because all they show is that you are indeed in perimenopause. They're fluctuating and, you know, they're fluctuating from one minute to the next every single day. That being said, I know there are other hormones that can be looked at. And Chrissy, you may know much more about that. But in response to this community member, what might you say? And this is actually the second person because the first person said that she was worried about being on HRT because she's heard depression is a side effect. And so to to this person's comment, I think it's much the same that, you know, how do you sort of combat that? Or, I mean, maybe you don't go on HRT at all, but if you've tried it and you find that it's making you depressed, or if you're concerned about trying it because it's making you depressed. There is nothing, as far as I'm aware, that says that there's a correlation between HRT and depression, as in it causes it. It doesn't mean that it can't happen in relation to it, but, you know, because of everything going kind of do Lally. It's also, there's other things we're going through besides just the hormones too. We have taken in a lot of messages and we are a very youth-centric society in the West. So we very much look at our glory days were 18 when we were in high school. Mm. So if you're now going into perimenopause and menopause, does that make you old? If you can't have children, does that make you less than 
certainly in regards to when you're feeling this irrational rage at times or depression or whatever these feelings are. Am I crazy? Mm -hmm. We do see that. Oh, yes, I knew that woman. You know what? My dad worked with somebody and their wife went crazy as soon as they hit the menopause. Right. And it's like, hmm. Yeah. Was that or what else was going on in their lives at the time? We're often stuck in between caring for parents and children at this time. We are changing who we are. Our children are leaving home. We have put all of our time, energy, and focus into our identity as a parent or as a sexual object or whatever it is. And now it's like, but now who am I? I don't even know. Is this over? Is this it? Whereas if we actually reframe that and don't look at it as an ending, but an opportunity and a beginning, there are some communities that look at it as, oh my goodness, I'm free. Mm. There are some communities where they will actually, within the world, where women are now eligible to be spiritual leaders that right. are, they're free from all of the constraints that happened before. When yes, yes. I recently learned about this. It was fascinating. Yeah. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. So it's not about, oh my goodness, I'm losing this. It's, oh my goodness, what am I heading towards? Yeah. Christy, that was so great and helpful. And you actually brought up several points that I wanted to be able to mention here. But the point about being a caregiver for parents, maybe still for children, the ideas of the notion, the messaging around aging, that might be difficult. And again, to circle back to trauma, you know, or lessons learned maybe in your childhood that, you know, sometimes I think like the things I was actually really mad about maybe came out or felt sort of more at the surface of me because I was in perimenopause. But really, I was just angry at stuff that I had been angry at. <laughs> it wasn't anything it was just stuff I hadn't dealt with. We stuff a lot of these things down. We don't have any choice because, again, we sacrifice ourselves. We're yeah. too busy using kids and establishing our careers. And yeah. this time in our life, we can say, okay, what messages have I been given since the beginning? Which ones am I going to keep? Which ones am I going to toss in the trash where they yeah. belong? Yeah. Who am I going to be? What do I want to be? And that's what I would hope that I would leave people with is this can be a wonderful time of transition. I have clients who at 43 years old, I have encouraged them to look outside of what they think life is and what it could be. I have one that is currently in a law program in Wales. Oh, wow. Just up and left, started a law degree. They're going to be a lawyer. Awesome. Um this is a time when we can reach our full potential, which includes getting rid of the garbage we've carried with us. And certainly in regards to trauma, that informs a lot. So maybe this is the time where, you know what, it's me time. I can work on that trauma. I can get rid of that heavy baggage I've been carrying around stuffed down inside of me. Let's set it free and let's set you free. Thank you, Chrissy. That is awesome. I want to say a couple of things. One, sort of revisiting the beginning of our conversation where you talked about, I think, a time that many of us don't recognize, which is kind of living in community or living around a lot of other people who we may see going through transitions. And there's a woman, she's also a podcaster, um, 
Omi Shade Bernie Scott, who podcasts, her platform is called Black Girl's Guide to Surviving Menopause. She's wonderful. And the things she talks about are fantastic. But she wrote an article recently where she talked about the fact that no one in her family, the women in her family, and there are many, really talked specifically about menopause. But she was in observation of so many different ages of women over the time that she was growing up. So she saw a lot and she learned a lot. And there were conversations going on all the time with the women in her family when they got together. This one's got her period. I do too. You know, these kinds of conversations, right? So even though specifically menopause may not have been talked about, there was a, a communal understanding. And to get back to what you said in the beginning of our conversation, I think that's something that this conversation sort of helps us reconnect with and also the Perry community, right? Itself, like just having space to sort of come together and people are saying, essentially, let's keep this conversation going in the app. So to get back to what you talked about, Remind us one more time why it's so important to come together to learn from each other about this perimenopausal menopausal journey. Who better to tell us about being a woman but a woman? I mean, we have female doctors as well, which is great. But again, we have throughout the ages had a very important part in family and the creation of societies and communities. And a lot of this was changed during capitalism because what they needed is for us to go into the workforce. It's terrifying. It's actually become so much worse. You see young people now who are going to be giving birth. What do you do? Oh, January 29th at 9 a.m. Excuse me. <laughs> right, right. And then I'm back at work. Yes, because it's actually being scheduled because that works best for when we go on vacation. And whoa, that is not how our bodies and how nature works. Right. We need to get back to that so that we can have a greater understanding of ourselves. And we need that support around us to help us get through these times, to learn new techniques. A lot of times I will say that we used to grow up in small towns and villages and we had extended families and we all went to the same schools and the same churches and we or synagogues or what have you. And there was often a wise woman of the village, by the way. That's the woman that has already been through menopause, just to let you know. She was also so, often sort of like the healthcare provider. Absolutely. You know, right? Absolutely. Yeah. We were the gatherers. We were the ones who found the natural remedies, all of these sorts of things. We can do this again. We threw the baby out with the bathwater when we brought in Western biomedicine. Don't get me wrong. Really oh, like yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. I hear you. However, I, I, yes, science. We like science. They don't have to be dichotomy. They can work together. And we right. need to reclaim this. And nobody's going to give this back to us. We need to take it back. The strong warrior women that we are. Yeah. Because now we don't have extended families. We can't go to Aunt Bessie. We barely have nuclear families half the time. And what ends up happening is people come to me. Not that I'm the wise woman of the village, nor am I claiming to be, but because there is a void there. Hmm. Interesting. Very, very interesting. Chrissy, I've so enjoyed speaking with you. I want to also, because we're talking about sort of mental health stuff, I want to huh? let everyone know that Perry has a journal. It's called the Perry Menopause Journal. It is fantastic. I believe you can find it certainly on the on the website, on the app. 
I think in many ways, it's sort of a beginning, if you will, around all of the things that we talked about here, all of the things that are going on for women pre, peri, postmenopausal, the beginnings of a resource that will only continue to grow and grow and grow. It's voices of women in the community. It's voices of specialists, entrepreneurs, thought leaders, scientists that we've had opportunity to speak with about all kinds of things from mental health stuff to physical fitness. So I encourage you to take a look at it. And to your point, Chrissy, it's a place to practice methodologies, exercises that will help you hopefully sort of home in, look within, figure out and strategize what works for you, what you might want to explore further. Chrissy, I really would love opportunity to speak with you again more. Thank you so much for joining us here. Welcome to the community. We love having you here. And thank you to all who contributed and joined us here this afternoon. This has just been an incredibly rich and helpful conversation, I know, to everyone here. So thank you, Chrissy. And thank you, everybody who joined in. I really appreciate it. I hope that even if it helps you a tiny bit on your journey, then I will be well pleased. Excellent. A wonderful weekend, everybody. Thank you. To you as well. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to our Perimenopause What the F podcast. The perimenopause journey can be lonely and it doesn't have to be that way. Make sure to download our free Peri app to connect with perimenopause warriors in the same stage of life. See you next time, Peri sisters.